Welcome to 1514, the podcast of the Biblical Counseling Coalition. Our goal is to help Christians understand the truth of Romans 1514, that they are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to counsel one another. I'm one of your hosts, Curtis Solomon. And I'm Lakin Brandt, your other host. Be sure to check out more resources from the BCC at biblicalcc.org. This episode is brought to you in part by the IBCD Summer Institute. Are you passionate about biblical counseling and discipleship? Then don't miss out on the Institute for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship's annual Summer Institute, taking place June 22nd through 24th of this year. IBCD exists to strengthen churches and one another care. They serve organizations and individuals who share a passion to see believers equipped through life struggles with the Word of God. They offer all kinds of tools for the counselor through conferences and training events, extensive topic-based courses, observation videos, their Hope and Help podcast, tons of free resources, and more. They've got an amazing lineup of speakers and workshops at this event that are sure to equip and inspire you for ministry. We're thrilled to announce that the BCC will be sponsoring the event, and I'll be one of the speakers. And here's the best part. IBCD is offering special discounts on tickets. Supporting churches and IBCD donors can enjoy 20% off their tickets, while current students can get 15% off. They're also offering special group rates for groups of six or more people. If you can't make it in person, don't worry. They're providing a special live streaming option, and your ticket includes a downloadable file of all the great conference content. So whether you're a seasoned counselor or just starting out, make sure to mark your calendars for IBCD's Summer Institute. Register today by visiting ibcd.org events and take advantage of these incredible savings. We can't wait to see you all there. Well, Peter, thanks so much for joining us for 1514. Could you introduce yourself to our audience? Yeah, I'm uh, Peter Sondergeld. I'm a lead pastor of Restoration Church in Australia. We're in a uh, city called Toowoomba, which is about an hour and a half drive west of Brisbane, which is about halfway down the east coast of Australia. Um, So we're we're moving into winter over here, Um, (laughs) and uh, it's pretty cool. And early in the morning, but good to be with you. Well, I appreciate you doing that, and I'm I'm just always thankful to the Lord for technology that can connect us uh, from across the globe. And you have a cool accent, so people will definitely want to listen to this. <laughs> well, I was really excited uh, to do this interview with you because we're talking about your book, Becoming You. And um, I'll be honest, some you know I get a lot of requests. People send me books and ask me to promote their books and things. And uh, there's a lot of great stuff out there, um, but man. Uh, I can't really overstate how much I like your book and how it's, it, it is one of the better books I've read in a long time. And you've kind of put me in a conundrum because I like it, but it also forces me to want to use it in my teaching, which is making me mm-hmm. reevaluate my syllabi. So you're, you're making some extra work for me, brother. So, um, <laughs> but very yeah. And, and anybody who's listened to this will know, I, I don't say that a ton, but I'm, I'm putting it on my son's reading list for the summer. I'm going to incorporate it into at least one class. Uh, I'm trying to figure out which one. I'm pretty sure I know which one I'm going to put it into. And it really, I think it fits a, a need uh, so much. So before I embarrass you too much by bragging on your book, can you tell everybody what is the what is the main thesis of Becoming You? It's really about teaching people to be personal with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, it's It's been my experience that... Um, 
people in the church. Uh, I mean, in my role as a pastor and connecting with other pastors, uh, people in the church sometimes uh, think that they're doing better at being personal with Jesus than what they are. Um, and then there's other people in the church that um, have this this kind of mental block when it comes to being personal with God. They fundamentally think that it's different to doing a relationship with someone else. Mm. Uh, and so the the um, the idea in the book and where I'm kind of where I head in the book is to really teach people how to be personal with Jesus, to be relational with Jesus in all the details of their lives. So that, that may have answered the next question I was going to ask of what led you to write the book, but any, any particular catalyst or anything else that really sparked you or spurred you on to, to write this? I think uh, one of the things that really got the ball rolling for me was just my own instability in myself. And uh, when I say self, I just mean the non-physical part of who I am. Uh, that spurred me on to uh, to read about things and to think about things. I engaged with um, a bunch of uh, cultural thought on the self and the instability that exists in the self. Saw that the, by and large the teaching was to curb in on yourself, to resolve instability with yourself, which seemed to me to be at odds with the very way that God had created us as images and worshippers. I think David Powlison said that we're extrospective by nature. Mm. Uh, and so it, it, it became really clear to me that an introspective turn to deal with instability in the self wasn't going to get the job done. Uh, we needed to curve away from ourselves. And it ended up becoming the topic of my, um, my doctoral work. And uh, I, I did a, doc, a, a doctor of ministry in Australia. And it's different in Australia to in the States because it's a, it's a genuine research degree over in, over here. Mm. And um, so went through the process of gathering uh, people to participate in some, uh, some training, basically, um, that taught people to manage the instability in the self uh, extrospectively uh, by curving away from themselves. And it was a big question um, in my mind, that would it work? Because conventional cultural wisdom is – it, it doesn't work. You've got to curve in on yourself. Um, but scripture teaches something else. And uh, the results were really, really pleasing um, and really supported the idea that um, curving away from yourself is, is a very, very effective way of handling kind of instability that's kind of going on through pride and shame. Yeah, and I think you summarized that well. Towards the end of the book, you share this axiom um, that I think I think is a great summary of that. Uh, do you remember what it is? And can you yeah, share it? Yeah, I do. <laughs> uh, you don't find yourself by looking for yourself. You find yourself when you find Jesus. Yeah, I thought that was such a great encapsulation of what the book is trying to communicate. And uh, I think our listeners can tell you're a smart guy and you have a lot of big theological and theoretical information in the book, but it's so palatable. And very, very, very practical. And I'll share some examples later on in this. But I, I did appreciate, and I think Ed Welch identified it well, you have these two main themes. He, he did the forward for the book, and he identified two main themes uh, for the book. Can you share what those themes are and why it's important that we understand those themes? The first one is that uh, Scripture is one coherent story. Um, and, and I think that's, that's really critical. 
uh, to understand. I think if, if you're going to live your life well and you've landed in the middle of a story, which all of us have, you need to understand the part of the story that you're in and how to take your place in it. Um, and so that's that's one of the kind of mega themes of the whole book is it kind of traces the the uh, the story arc um, through humanity's eyes in a sense uh, from from Genesis right through to I mean ultimately to uh, Revelation twenty two the big uh, we're back in the garden again mm. uh, but traces it through in relation to Christ in a in a very very personal way. And I think in that sense, it, 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 my goal was to draw people into uh, understanding Scripture as their story. Mm-hmm. That's the other thing that Ed said in the forward, uh, understanding that it's their story, that they're part of it, and that they need to be active in that story. And it's very personal. Um, scripture is a very personal message, not just to the original recipients, but the Spirit uses it very personally in us when when we read it. And I wanted people to get the sense that that God's speaking to them um, through it. And uh, sometimes I think in the church we can talk about God's Word and forget that God's Word is being spoken by a person. Mm. (laughs) Um, And we can disconnect the personhood of God from what's being said and so... Um, in terms of engaging with Scripture as a story, God's story and God's message to us, that was really key for me, is I I want you to hear that God's talking to you. You know, he's not just talking to someone else and he's not talking a thousand years ago. He's talking to you through Scripture right now. Yeah. Uh, so that those are probably summarizes the two. Yeah. No, I think it was really good summary statement that he identified, but also very true of the book. And you do have this big kind of picture meta narrative, biblical theology of, of humanity. And you walk through, uh, you call it, you use the terminology of dehumanizing and then rehumanizing uh, ourselves, understanding that the current state of human beings is not what it was intended to be uh, because of sin, because of the fall. And we are actually part of the redemption, the restoration, the, the sanctification process is actually getting us back to what we were intended to be before the fall. Of course, now we can only do that through Christ. Um, but you, yeah, you just do it very beautifully. Uh, use lots of examples of how uh, even culture today and social media and other things like that play into this process of our dehumanization. And yeah, so it's just, just really, really helpful stuff. Uh, you talk a lot about too, there's a heavy emphasis on communion with Christ as being an aspect of restoration. Can you fill that out a little bit more? Uh, I mean, that's, that's uh, another way of saying being personal with Jesus. Um, there's a lot being written at the moment about uh, union with Christ and, uh, and what a precious uh, theological reality that is. I mean, it's unspeakable in a sense. The difficulty that I found pastorally in the church is it's it's hard to land that mm-hmm. uh, in, in terms of what it, what it looks like and how you do it. I mean, we all believe in it, but when I kind of feel like if I go up to church members and say, "What? How do you do it? How do you do union with Christ?" I'm not sure that they're clear about that. And so I think for me, the the two categories that kind of go together are union and communion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the key text I think that really helps us to picture what communion is, is uh, Ephesians 5, where it talks about the union between Christ and the church. Mm-hmm. 
The beauty about that section of scripture is it's speaking about union with Christ in a very personal context. So it's not about um, being in Christ. It's not about being grafted in, which are wonderful kind of metaphors themselves. But it's actually getting really personal because we're talking about marriage now. And uh, that actually is really consistent with one of the major threads that runs through scripture about God's relationship with his people is, is characterized as a marriage. And so what you have in marriage is you have the wedding ceremony, which is the official union, and then you have the doing of relationship in the marriage, which is the communion. And so one of the ways that I like to cash it out is um, that communion really is the intermingling of persons. It's, it's, the, it's the joining of persons. Um, and so if you picture it um, in terms of union with Christ, you you in terms of our lived experience, you're united, you become united to Christ. I know that union with Christ goes well before this, but in our lived experience, we become united with Christ when we become a Christian. And then the communion is the intermingling of persons that happens after that, where the edges between Jesus and us kind of blur a little bit and um, we're actively joined. Mm. Yeah, no, it's super helpful, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to to use this book in the particular class I teach because I talk a lot about that distinction between union and communion with Christ and how it's important for us to understand, um, especially in one aspect, not the entirety, but one aspect of it is the, the distinction between when we are unified with Christ before God, that's an unchanging reality that stands before God, our position before mm-hmm. him, our... Uh, standing as heirs and children never changes, but our communion is where that we have that flex, you know, like the, yeah. um, and you have, you, you go really well. I was actually looking for it in my notes, but the, 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 the way you take the analogy of Ephesians four and describe it for people, I think it, it was one of the best description I've, I've seen of somebody because so many people get hung up on like, is there sexuality in that or is there weird, you know, it gets a little bit weird, but the way you described it and just how it, it even, um, I think the example was Jesus's command that if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And you talked about how like a husband and wife, really simple stuff. Like if your wife came in, uh, and you, you got Mm. a cup of coffee and you're screaming about how, how wonderful this coffee is, that's one thing. But if she says, Hey, like, that's really weird. That's annoying. Don't do it. And the next day you do, it goes from being just this thing to like a personal thing and you're not expressing love to Christ. And I, man, it was just like a really great metaphor, really great analogy to show us that that's why Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments is because it's about love and relationship and faithfulness. It makes it so personal. And it, it was just like, wow, that's not... It's not an arbitrary thing. It's not a, a a commander to his troops kind of thing. It's a it's a that intimate personal relationship thing. So anyway, I, yeah, I just really appreciated that, and it you you illustrate it so well through the book. I think that's why my high school age son is going to be reading this summer. <laughs> uh, oh God! Yeah. So yeah, I'm just. Uh, still geeking out about the book a little bit, so I'll, I'll try to move <laughs> on to the next question. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, one of the things that I think you, along those lines, you highlighted this: the primary reason that why Christ died on the cross. And I think I thought it was wonderful because if you asked 
20 different Christians, you might get 15 answers. Uh, but And you enumerate lots of reasons why Christ died on the cross for our sins, for our salvation, to conquer death, all these things. But then you drill in uh, and use First Peter 3.18 to give us that primary reason. Mm-hmm. What is that primary reason you share? The primary reason is to get us to God. That's what the primary reason is. And it's been a... Um, it's been a growing kind of revelation or understanding for me um, for a number of years now is just the centrality through Scripture of God being with his people. And you just see it over and over and over and over again. And, um, you know, you start in the garden and the garden's the, the first temple and it's the place where God walks with his people. Uh, and you just see this uh, this intentionality of God the whole way through Scripture that, that he, he wants to be with his people. And it's dangerous, you know, through the Old Testament there, you see that it's dangerous for a holy and righteous God to be with a sinful people. And and so you have all these laws that come into place to uh, to protect the people from this holy, righteous God so they treat him correctly. And, and so it's just this, I find the whole of Scripture is this beautiful story of God's desire to be with his people, which is ultimately... Um, brought about in the most profound of ways by Christ's death on the cross, where he joined us to himself, where we are we are never not going to be with him. Mm. Um, and it's a beautiful, beautiful thought. And all those truths about uh, justification and forgiveness of sin, and uh, they are really, really beautiful, but they all take you somewhere. And where they take you is they take you near to God. They join you to him. And uh, as John says in John 14, um, uh, when the Holy Spirit's given, you know, he's in the Father, the Father's in him, and, and we're in, we're connected to Christ. And it's, I mean, it's we're just in, and it's just a mind-blowing reality. But it's also what the heart longs for. Mm. You know, that that's... God does a work in your heart, and he's done a work in my heart. The thought of being near to Jesus... Is, is the is the finest thought that I ever have. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a beautiful, beautiful thought, and that 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 would be secured by the cross, and it would never it would never be at risk again. Uh, it's, it, it's beautiful. Yeah, and you really hit on that earlier in the book. You talk about this longing to know others and to be known, and that mm. is so essential to. Genuine relationship. I was actually reading a, a business leadership book um, separate from this, but kind of simultaneously. And I was interested because it they're talking about how to have a healthy organizational team and talking about vulnerability and being open and honest with each other and stuff. And I'm like, man, they're just like these are these are biblical principles that they're trying to manifest in a, a, a business way because they realize relationships and being known and love and connection are really what people are craving and what we we need as people. And of course the most important and, and being close to God uh, in and through Christ is, is, is the greatest relationship we can ever have. And I think, yeah, that's where I felt like over and over and over again, you took a common, whether you pointed out explicitly or not, you took really common axioms that we use in Christian lingo and went deep with them to show where is their truth behind it, where does scripture show it, and then what does that actually mean? For instance, the 
it's not about religion. It's about a relationship, right? We've, uh, mm-hmm. we've, I've heard people say that most of my life, <clears throat> but what does that mean? How do you get there? How do you draw near yeah. to God? How does God draw near to you? And you just flesh those kind of things out through the book. So, um, yeah, again, really, really appreciate it. How would, how would you, how do you see biblical counselors? Like, why would it, do you, I've given lots of reasons already, but I want to hear why you think biblical counselors should read this book. Uh, in my view, it gives a, a, a really clear framework for understanding humanity. So it's not just tracing the biblical arc, but it's tracing the biblical uh, story arc in the context of understanding people and the way that they operate. Um, so I think one of the benefits from my point of view, and I can only say this because it actually informs the way that I do biblical counselling, so I'm a, I'm a registered counsellor over here in Australia, um, is, is the, the anthropology, uh, the biblical anthropology that comes out in the book is just the way that I see almost everything I do in ministry <laughs> when I'm <laughs> yeah. working with people. Yeah. Um, and the really, the really cool thing about it, um, the truth that's in there, which doesn't belong to me anyway, it belongs to the Lord, is uh, I've done some ministry in Nepal and done some teaching in Nepal on the Becoming You content. And uh, I remember years ago... Um, David Powlison making the comment, I think, in one of his lectures where he said the real test of whether something is uh, true and biblical is that it works cross-culturally. Yep. yep. And, um, I mean, Nepal's a very different culture to Australia, and I was amazed at how well it landed. Um, I probably expected it to land about 20% as well as what it did. It just well exceeded my expectations. and. Mm. It had me coming back with a real confidence that um, that I was being faithful to Scripture. It feels weird to talk about myself that way, but uh, I was being faithful to Scripture and, and the things that Scripture says are, are good and true and they apply to all people everywhere. So that that's kind of a bit of a nutshell as, as to how I think it's helpful as a biblical counselor. For some biblical counselors, I, I don't know who will be listening to this or uh, I'm not that well clued into the American biblical counseling context. Um, but it might be, it might help them to brush up a little bit on the way that they understand humanity, the way that they see things, um, how they join people to Jesus. And I don't mean that in a union kind of way, but how they help yeah. people to be personal yep. with Jesus and, and close to Jesus. Um, just hopefully it'll just crystallize some things for people. I don't, I don't think a lot of it's new, but I think maybe there's some crystallization that needs to happen of separate random ideas that people have into a, into a hole perhaps. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good. And I would agree like it will refresh or help you crystallize and think about people, how they can connect to the Lord, how, what your role in that is. And, um, and then how might, what would you, I kind of want to back up to that comment where you said you have trouble thinking about yourself that way. I think it is a good thing for us to do that, though, to test our teaching through other people. Uh, and I think that's part of why Paul told the Bereans, like, praise the Bereans, because they went to the Scriptures to test themselves. And that that is that should be our goal, right? Is that whatever we say, whatever we do, whatever we write, whatever we teach is faithful to God's Word, because we're not the message, we're the messengers. Um, yeah. And so... 
yeah, I, I just encourage you, brother, like, keep it up. <laughs> keep doing yeah. what you're doing. Yeah. Um, Thanks. How would you, how, how might a biblical counselor use this in their ministry? Yeah, look, it's probably a little, um, in some cases, I think you could, you could, people could read it and you could work through the book uh, with someone. Uh, I think that could be really helpful. Sometimes it might be a little bit too much, uh, too big or too, too hard to stomach for some people. Um, but I think probably uh, what helped me the most when I was writing it, this is probably a strange thing to say, but what helped me the most when I was writing it is it helped me to um, kind of systematise and synthesise all of the things that I'd been thinking as a biblical counsellor for a lot of years. Mm-hmm. And, and so what it did is it gave me uh, biblical terminology to, to understand and then to talk about things that were going on. And I think, uh, you know, one of the... One of the pieces of terminology which um, just reverses the way that we naturally uh, think uh, is is just thinking about what what does it mean to be truly human? Mm-hmm. Uh, because most people think about being human as being fallen, mm-hmm. uh, but Scripture teaches us that uh, Adam and Eve were truly human in the beginning before the fall and and became less than human at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, that's an example of just a bit of a recalibration of thinking, uh, going back to Scripture, what does Scripture say about it. Uh, but there's lots of other categories in there like uh, like death and slavery and, and all those pieces where if you're not uh, utilising those, it kind of puts those together into a whole uh, to think kind of biblically about people and, and then how to help them. And that, that's probably one of the pieces of feedback that I've had um, from people about it uh, who are doing pastoral counselling is they just they just say, <laughs> um, we're just using so much of the terminology of the book because it connects so well into scripture and it's just framing the, the language and the conversations that they're having with people. Um, and it's making sense of um, uh, counsellees' experience um, as, as they're kind of applying scripture scripture to it. Yeah, I, I felt like it was a lot. Um, there were kind of two analogies I kept thinking of. One was this giant puzzle that's missing a piece, and like this book just kind of completed this puzzle I was working on in my mind. And then another where it's like at the center of a few different ideas that have been swirling around, and it was kind of like the the thing, the cat. Like if I was doing a chemistry experiment, the catalyst that brought it all together and made that compound a solid or something and it because um like for for example we were talking a little bit about there's a book i read in my phd studies that's all about union with christ it's called paul in union with christ and it's a great book very i mean talk about biblical the guy i think goes through and exegetes every single passage that talks about union in christ uh great theology and wonderful and i encourage people to read it but when i got to the end as a counselor uh, I'm thinking, all right, so how do I take this to people? Where do we plug it in the church? How do we apply it? And it just wasn't there. And I thought, oh, somebody needs to write a follow-up to this book, but it takes it practical. And I really think Becoming You does that. Um, but it also puts into place 
like a the the layer beneath the layer beneath the layer of like why do we do spiritual disciplines? Um, in the class where I'm going to use this, we talk a lot about spiritual disciplines and how to incorporate them into our own lives so that we would be applying scripture and before we teach it to others. But then, also, how do we how, how do we bring it to other people? But it gets below just doing it and then why we do it because scripture commands us to, to really how do we make our spiritual discipline, our prayer, our scripture reading, these things really connect relationally with the Lord. Um, and this, this quote I had from this one friend that kept swirling in the back of my mind, like saying no to sin is not enough motivation for me to be a Christian. Uh, Cause I, that they just, this person had been in a church for a long time that really just pushed Everything was about turning away from a sin, which is obviously we want people to turn away from sin, but they're like, it needs to be, life needs to be about more than that for me. And I really feel like that this friend could read your book and think, this is what life is about. And uh, so, man, again, I'm, I'm geeking out a lot about your book, <laughs> but I, I think it, it, it was a need, it was a needed uh, uh, a book. So, um, <clears throat> one example I, I gave, wanted to share with people was we, you talk about talking to God. You don't just say it as prayer, but talking to God. And you talk about all these different elements of talking to God confession, lament, praise, petition. And then you deal with why, um, why do we do these things, especially when God already knows? And we've heard that classic argument. So many people have said, like, why pray? If, I, if God already knows, mm-hmm. and we misunderstand Matthew 5, you even address that. God already knows. Why do we pray? And you just highlight, it's not about transfer of information. About, it's about relationship. And you say, don't just ask for what you need or want. Tell God why you need or want it. Why is it important to you? Why is God your only hope? What trouble do you need God's intervention in? And what pain your, uh, is your trouble causing you? And in the, in the context, you do this masterful, like, theological description and explanation of prayer and communion and communing through communication with God. And then you just get so practical on those kind of things. Like when you're praying, do this. Um, I'm trying to think of a question to throw in there after the end, but could you expand, like expound on that idea or just like maybe flesh out another example for us or something? Cause yeah, I just wanted to, to, Give a share an example of what I was so excited about. Yeah, I think the two two categories, which I don't specifically talk in the book, which are linked to one another, is are uh, honesty and transparency. Mm. And I think most people in the church would say that they're honest. And if you went up to them and said, uh, "Are you honest with God?" they would probably say yes. They're honest with God. I don't think no one would want to say that they're lying to God. Like that's not a good idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but the question, the related category is transparency. And transparency is really about um, what's what's on the table between God and I. Um, I I mean, I was talking to, uh, I was doing some pastoral counseling yesterday with a, a guy who's gone through a bunch of very traumatic events. And we were talking about this very thing. And he, he used the category first. Um about putting something on the table between him and God. And the idea was that he was kind of saying, there's all these things that are going on in my life. And I'm not, he wasn't saying this particular bit, but he's like, I'm not actually lying to God about those things, but we're not talking about them. Mm 
Mm. And when I bring them out and I put them on the table, I'm talking to God about them. And he actually said to me, he goes, I find it really hard to do that because when I actually talk about those other things that are going on in my life, which I haven't talked to God about yet, he said they become more real and they become more painful for a little bit. And I just said to him, I said, dude, I said, that is that is awesome that you're doing that. I said, because the mercy and the grace of the Lord works on the things primarily that are on the table between you and he. And unless you make it more real, um, it's, it's hard to deal with that thing. Uh, and so it was just a beautiful thing watching a guy who's kind of, you know, it's almost like he's got a, a sack of things next to his chair and he's pulling these things out and he's putting mm-hmm. them on the table between him and the Lord and saying, can we talk about this? I want to tell you about this thing that's going on for me. And, and it's really, it's really beautiful to watch. And so that's, that's why I encourage it to people all the time in the church over here is, yeah, you're near to the Lord, but how could you let him closer? Mm. What, what would be the next thing that you could talk to him about? Because, you know, as, you know, Psalm 62 verse 8 says, pour your heart out to the Lord. He wants to know everything about you. And and sometimes people say to me, yeah, I think I'm doing that. And I say, well, why don't you ask the Lord if there's some way that you can be nearer to him? Mm-hmm. Is there some area of your life that you could talk to him more about and listen to scripture and what he would say about that and almost have a kind of conversation with him about the things that are going on in your life? It's It never ends, I don't think. Um, I, I think we always want to be pressing the next uh, the next button on the elevator down and, and saying, how can we go deeper? How can I get him nearer to other nooks and crannies in my life that he's not in yet? And that's where the that's where the marriage analogy is is another a good application of that in scripture. Is be, the longer you're married, if you're faithful and you're loving and you're moving towards each other, you're never going to stop learning and getting closer. Um, yeah, you know, it's just going to keep getting deeper and deeper, and as close as you get, there's still more room to grow. And you, you had a great—I love that section too, where you enumerate all these different reasons uh, or barriers or that get in barricades, uh, why people don't talk to God or or go deep with God. And you shared one was that that gal sounds like a similar kind of situation who would just watch TV uh, because she didn't want to think about, you know, she wanted to just go. When she was thinking about something painful, she just wanted to go laugh and watch a comedy thing. And then when she finally put that aside and went and talked to God, it was it was painful, but it was good, and it really drew her closer in. So, um, in your church, I'm, uh, you, we talked a little bit about how you use it. How how could people in, outside the counseling room or relationship use it more broadly in the church? I mean, one of the ways that we use it in the church is we run a small group biblical counselling process uh, called Restore Groups where people work through the materials um, chapter by chapter with a journal and then they kind of split up into gendered groups weekly, have some teaching before that and then have some discussion in gendered groups and that's a really powerful way to do it. We started um, the process of writing a small group uh, study guide workbook on Becoming You and that's that's uh, just at the, in the early stages, but I'm hoping that that will be something that might be useful to a, a Bible study or a small group if they want to work through the materials in a less intensive kind of way. Um, we, we um, like I said before, the, 
the two the two sides of uh, the way church does ministry. One one side one part is theology, theological convictions, and the other side is ministry philosophy. Um, and ministry philosophy is the way that you land your theology uh, at the end of the day. And because we're all working with people, and and change is what we're about. Um, even in a missional sense, in terms of evangelism, we're still talking about change. Uh, I think to have a clear understanding of the way that restoration and change happens is essential for every ministry area in the church. And and so I would think that there would be benefits for leaders in churches to read it just as a resource to help them to get some clarity about the way they understand restoration and change happens. It's obviously something that small groups can read through without a study guide. It's got reflection questions at the end of each chapter. Um, but I, I think f- from our experience, we've got this intensive version, which is restore groups. We've got lots of people in the church who've read the book, but it's really informing our ministry philosophy because we want to see people restored. We want to see people transformed and changed and and. My, our conviction is that this is the way that scripture talks about how it happens. No, that's that's really great. And share some share some of the ways you've seen the book impacting people's lives. Yeah, it's it's been stunning. I mean, I, I I'm not a big fan of self promotion, and when I wrote the book, I, I kind of got to the end of it, and I thought, oh, I don't know, I don't know whether this is very good or not. Uh, maybe it's not. Uh, it's the best that I've got right now. I mean, there was all those kind of thoughts that yeah, were going through yeah. my mind. And then we we uh, uh, ran our first round of restore groups uh, using the book material, and um, I got to supervise the men's group. And um, I just watched this guy coming alive, mm. and um, we had this testimonial kind of time at the end, and people got to share what the Lord had done, and he got up and shared what the Lord had done, and I was standing out in the back of the room. He came up the back after it, and I went up to him and I said, dude, you sound like you've become a Christian. And he goes, yeah, he goes, I think I have. Mm. And so we, I said, man, you, you probably need to get baptised. <laughs> and his story was that he was uh, he was in the church all of his life, and he said he'd only ever had a religious relationship with God. And by reading the book and going through it intensively, he discovered a personal relationship with God and had become a Christian. So that's one of the things that we're seeing pretty regularly, um, that it's, it's, uh, it's shifting people who have been in the church the whole of their lives who have never had a personal relationship with God, um, or at least a, a minimal one. Another thing that we're noticing is... Um, and, and this is not just restricted to our church. We're noticing that it's teaching people how to do relationship with God and that they're nearer to him. And that's, that is so beautiful to watch. I mean, that's, whenever I hear a story like that, I just, uh, it warms my heart because I just think that's, that's what I want. It, you know, if you, if you ask me what would be one of the outcomes you'd love out of the book, that's someone would, would be closer mm-hmm. to Jesus. Uh, in a really personal way. So we've seen a lot of that happen as well, and not just people in our church, but people outside of it. One of the unexpected benefits that we've seen with it is um, it's actually informing people's evangelism. 
um, which is a, yeah, again, I, I didn't expect that. Um, but what it's doing is it's giving people an understanding of humanity. It doesn't just apply to them, it applies to everyone. And now they can actually see more of the detail of what's going on in people who aren't in the faith. They're clearer about how Jesus connects to that stuff because he's connected with them in it. Mm-hmm. And then they're able to encourage people who aren't in the faith to see how the person of Christ connects in with them and how they're actually made for him. Um, so that's been a really unexpected, um, you know, blessing that's kind of come out of it too. No, that's fan- that's fantastic. And like you said, that's exactly what you want for your life work mm-hmm. is to see people come to know Jesus and grow deeper uh, into that relationship and become more like him. So where can people find the book? Where can they buy it? Look, you can buy it at just about any bookstore. I know Amazon's big in the States, so you can buy it on Amazon. Um, but it, just about any bookstore will be able to order it in if they don't have it. And if people wanted to connect with you, uh, how might they do that? Uh, the best way to connect with me would be to uh, email uh, the church here. Um, and the church, do you want me to give the email address? Yeah, here? yeah. If you're comfortable with it, yeah. go right ahead. Yeah. No, just email uh, hello at restorationchurch.com.au. All right. Yeah, that would be the best way to go. Very cool. Well, we went a little bit long, but I still want to do two-minute favorites, which is a segment. It's one of my f- favorite things, and a lot of our listeners really enjoy it. So are you ready for this? Yeah, let's go. All right. Let me get my two-minute timer going, and here we go. What is your favorite food? Uh, any curry. All right. Favorite color? Blue. Favorite sport? Uh, rugby union. All right. Favorite sports team? Uh, that would be the Queensland Reds rugby union team. All right. Uh, favorite gift you've ever received? Oh, my goodness. Uh, probably something technology. All right. Favorite gift you've ever given? Oh, I can't even think. Can I pass? <laughs> sure. Uh, favorite favorite ice cream flavor? Uh, it's actually Ben and Jerry's um, chocolate chip cookie dough. All right. Favorite word? Oh. Uh, communion's up there for me. All I know right. that's weird to say, but it just is. All right. Least favorite word? Oxymoron. (laughs) Favorite. (laughs) Just the word. Yeah. Favorite book of the Bible? Uh, That would be the Gospel of John, hands down. All right. Favorite book outside scripture? Uh, It would be a tie between um, Calvin's Ladder by Julie Canlis or um, God's Relational Presence. All right. Favorite. the, uh, The title. All right. Favorite candy? Uh, any chocolate, really. If you could choose any superpower, what superpower would you choose? Uh, blistering knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> uh, favorite Bible verse? Um, oh, there's so many. I like the package between uh, John three sixteen and 17. All right. Um, that Jesus has come not to condemn, but to save. 
Mm. Amen. Well, that wraps up our two-minute favorites as well as our time together on 1514. So, Peter, thank you so much for being with us on 1514. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been great. Thanks for listening. Make sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And special thanks to our team who helped make this podcast possible. My assistant, Rebecca Mullins, helps coordinate these interviews. And our podcast engineer, Caleb Lau, does a great job editing and putting everything together. We look forward to you joining us next time.